Hey, welcome to Tech Lido. This podcast is basically the everyday stuff an average person thinks about. Raw and honest, filled with humor and wit, we chat about creativity, leadership, entrepreneurship, failure and success. Things which needs deep discussions but lighter moments. So it's me Kazim joined by some amazing industry experts. friends occasionally to talk about some great topics that we otherwise don't discuss in a candid manner every sunday a new episode so i would love you all to join me hey mac how's it going so welcome to techledo i'm glad we finally got to connect uh, i'm really excited for this episode uh, one thing i just want to mention my listeners is that a couple of months back i cold messaged mac uh we didn't know each other through twitter um he he uh me and him used to exchange um a lot of stuff and then i i i messaged him asking uh him to join me for for an episode he immediately replied me back um and then we we couldn't get the schedule worked out um i got busy he got busy and then i think last month uh i emailed him back uh and asked him like do you still want to do it and then he came back to me like in 20 minutes ah uh, yeah why not when you want to do it and then we just got everything sorted in about like a uh, half hour uh that really amazed me um uh, his motivation uh the inspiration that he puts out there for his audience for the followers uh basically the young vcs and angel investors who are new into the game uh it's really tough uh to come from a software engineering background and then getting into a vc world but his journey has been uh uh a tremendous growth and and i wanted to bring him onto the episode um uh, to talk about his journey uh, uh to talk about ups and downs um his leadership style and and all of that stuff um and also many people um ask me many questions uh how what do you mean like you know we have you are vc and you have a lot of money it's not you know people think if you are working in a tech industry or you from a tech background you get everything you don't you know you learn you constant grind uh you have a lot of energy um a um, lot of lot of reading lot of network building uh getting to know people learning from them and that that kind of stuff uh goes into um uh to, to to become a successful vc or invest in successful ventures so i'm really excited to talk about this uh with mac and uh, uh to bring uh his enormous knowledge uh, uh about uh the world of vcs and what it takes to be uh, a vc so welcome mac thanks for doing this mate thank you very much thank you and uh i'm glad you reached out and i'm i'm looking forward to the conversation So what I want to know is man I, I want to know your journey. I want I want you I want you to tell me how did it all start, you know? How did uh Mac uh I remember you you put up one of your pictures on Twitter uh, with software engineering badge, right? And uh you're like, "Oh man, I, I no I need to go to venture capital. I want to be an angel investor. I'll start investing in startups." How did it all start? You know, what's your what's your story there, man? Yeah, my story is one of a lot of converging events um so you know um my background is as a software engineer so when i went to school i studied computer science and um 
my sophomore year of school, I got an internship with the Department of Defense and got a top secret clearance, right? Um, and so then my junior year, I dropped out of school because I got a job in North of Grumman. You know, they offered me more money than I thought was possible at the time. And I was like, sure, I don't need school anymore. Um, and then I spent the next several years as a government contractor. I worked for big companies. I worked for small companies. Um, I worked my way up the ranks really quickly because, like, I dropped out of school. I was, like, 20. So by the time I was 24, 25, you know, at four or five, I had actually I had six or seven years of professional experience because I started building websites for people when I was, like, 18. So, you know, by the time I'm, like, 25, I had, like, seven years of professional experience, you know. I'm, I'm making six figures. I'm doing really well for myself. I was bored. But um, I had a friend of mine who was like obsessed with Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and how to start a company. And, you know, he, uh, his name, he goes by the name of Patrick Jackson. He's the CTO of a company called Disconnect out in San Francisco. That's what he does now. But like, he was the first person I ever saw like build an uh, iPhone app. And I'm like, I'm talking about like back in like 07, 08, this guy was building apps and talking to us about this stuff. And so because of him, like a group of me and my friends started getting together weekly and talking about technology and talking about cool stuff. And I would say like six or seven of us all kind of jumped out there and started companies. Um, and I used the phrase companies because back then we didn't know what startups were. We didn't know what a startup was, didn't know what a VC was. We were just all engineers who figured we could build stuff, right? So my first company, me and two of my best friends got together and we were we started off building a technology that was basically a crowdfunding platform for gifts. So you create a wish list of whatever you wanted for whatever reason, and people could put money towards the gifts, right? Um, that was in 2010. It wasn't until 2012 that we really started learning how all this stuff worked, right? So I started going to events in like late 2011. And every time I would go to these events, I would meet people and like opportunities would come up. And at some point, my co-founders were like, well, maybe you should just do that. You should focus on, you know, meeting people and doing things. And, you know, you go ahead and be CEO and, you know, we'll keep doing coding. And so that's how I got thrust into doing, to being a CEO and how I started to learn about networking. Like, I know what networking was at the time. I was just going to events. And so we ended up going through two accelerators that year, one in, San, one in Baltimore, one in San Francisco, and, like, learned all this stuff. Learned about lean startup and you know, VCs and how they work and angel investors, got advisors, you know, all this stuff that nobody ever talked to us about before. And so at the same time, we realized we had a ton of competition in the space. So we tried to differentiate ourselves. And what we did was we added the ability to give people um, apps. So you could pre-purchase an app and gift it to somebody. And they would just get a text message on the day and then they click the link on the text message and the app would just download to their phone. Well, when we started demoing that to people, a lot of people had never seen that before back then. And so as we kept seeing people's reaction every time we would do these demos, we were like, maybe there's something here. And so then we eventually just pivoted to just a company that you could programmatically purchase anything from iTunes or Google Play, and you could distribute them in the form of links. Yeah. So it could be an album, it could be a movie, it could be an app. And you can send somebody in a text message, a Facebook message, a tweet, an email, what have you, and we just download to their device. Um, so we started doing that. And then uh, we eventually sold that technology off to the, uh, a division of a Fortune 100 company that wanted to have exclusivity. And like, well, instead of exclusivity, you can just buy it, right? Um, after that, I decided to start my second company, 
um, this was an e-commerce platform, and really. So what? So what happened to the first company then? You guys? You, oh, we sold it. We uh, sold the technology. Oh, okay. Sold the vision of a Fortune one hundred. That was a successful venture. That was a successful venture. If you want to yeah, talk about yeah, it. I mean, look, <laughs> it was a successful exit. We negotiated exit. Uh, am I independently wealthy today? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, after the first company. Um, I learned all this stuff. I knew how everything worked. I built the network. And I noticed this thing. There was all these people on Instagram who were making money selling products, but they were doing it through email and text messages, like kick messages and WhatsApp. But they were still making really good money. So I was like, okay, this, this is interesting. So I figured I could create an Instagram clone, but make it specifically for products. Every product would have a buy button. And I wouldn't care about the, the consumers on the front end, but I would make a slew of products on the back end for sellers to make it easier for them to do their business. And so I came up with this idea. I put a new team together. Um, I raised the angel round and got into an accelerator in Philadelphia, all in the span of like six weeks, right? Because I, like, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew the execution. Um, I created, up with, I created a marketing funnel where I signed up 120 sellers in, the, in two weeks, pre-product, all willing to pay $20 a month, sight unseen kind of a thing. Like, you know, I, I validated this stuff. And so we get to the accelerator, things are going good. And then um, my, um, as we got there, my, uh, my team fell apart. So what I realized was, you know, not everybody was ready for the full-time startup grind. It was cool when we first started. It was nights and weekends, you know. You go to work, you get your stable day job, you come home, you code a little bit. And, like, very quickly, I'm like, hey, everybody, quit your jobs. We're moving to Philadelphia. Not everybody was ready for that. So about two months in, uh, our lead developer uh, disappeared. And I actually didn't see that Are you guy serious? Again. Really? He just left? He just, he just, he just disappeared. <laughs> and then... I didn't see him again for two years. Well, what happened next was, so I'm a developer, but I hadn't touched any of the code, you know, unlike my first startup where we spent the first year and a half of the business just building and all three of us were coding. I didn't have a clue what was going on and it was built in a language I didn't know. So I basically spent the next five weeks learning Ruby on Rails and trying to finish the back end, which we did. It just wasn't good, <laughs> right? And we were just never able to get the product right after that. Like, it just, just couldn't get the product right. We had burnt through a lot of the cash. You know, I had gotten burnt out at this point. And so um, we shut that company down. So, you know, I have a win and a loss, right? Um, ended up coming back to Baltimore, where I'm from, and got a job at a marketing firm for a year. Um, they hired me at the marketing firm to be head of internal products because the CEO wanted to build all these products that he could upsell. And I was like, cool, I could be an entrepreneur. Got there, of course, it's a marketing firm, so it's mostly a dev shop. And so, of course, the developers needed help. And so now I'm just leading a team of front-end developers, junior front-end developers, building e-commerce websites. That is not what I signed up for. Um, at the time, I, my, my, the majority of my skill set was backing. Like, I could do full stack, but, like, backing was my thing. And here I am leaning a group of front-end developers where all I'm doing is front-end code every day. I'm just like, I told them up front, like, this is not what I want to do. And that's exactly <laughs> what I did for a year. Um, but it was, it was easy money, and it was, it was pretty good money. Um, but then after being there for a year, you know, I was really bored, didn't really like the work. And um, 
Then we got a client that I didn't agree with ethically. And I kept telling people like, look, if we win this contract with this client, I'm quitting. And everybody's like, yeah, Mac, I understand. You know, I get it. It's a tough client, but you know, they're, they're willing to pay us a lot of money. It's like, I don't care about the money they're going to pay y'all. They don't pay me that. And I don't agree with their value. So I'm not I'm like, if we get this contract, I'm leaving. And so on a Friday, we won the contract and I gave them my two week notice and everybody was in the uproar because nobody believed me. And uh, the following Monday, I got an email from the state of Maryland saying that their investment arm was hiring a fund manager. And I was like, huh, this seems like perfect timing. Let's just apply for this. And so that's, that's how I got in the venture. I literally applied after seeing uh, an email um, for a state run um, investment vehicle. Oh, wow. And then um, how is the journey treating you? How has the decision been treating you so far after moving into the VC world? It changed my life, right? Um, I found a job I truly love, right? You know, people say if you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. I always thought that was bullshit because, like, who has a job that they like going to? Until I got this job. So like when they hired me, I was originally on the seed investment team, right? So my job was like source deals, conduct the diligence, I was part of the investment committee, which just really means my job was to go out there, meet entrepreneurs, talk to entrepreneurs, support them. And then when I found the good one, uh, help my team make the decision on whether to invest or not. Like if that wasn't the stuff I did every day for fun already, <laughs> right? Outside of the investing part, it was like, Y'all going to pay me to go to networking events and talk to entrepreneurs. And then I have the freedom to like help them. If I so choose, are you sure you pay me to do this? Like y'all going to pay me to do this job. Cool. Um, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. Um, and so when they hired me and that was in 2016, when I got that job, um, one thing that came up though, was they were also having issues of investing in blacklist startups at the time. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the thing that the local uh, black community in Maryland said was, you know, you guys don't market to us. You guys don't look like us. And we don't have access to friends and family capital to compete for seed funding. And so uh, the organization I was working at, TEDCO, uh, was very mindful about that and took it seriously. And so, you know, they, they answered the first two questions really well. And that third piece about the friends and family capital, they were trying to figure out. And so I ended up coming up with a proposal and leading an initiative to create a pre-seed fund to invest in those entrepreneurs earlier than anybody else. Basically $40,000 to try and, you know, catalyze them to help them get to our seed fund, which did 100 to 200,000. Um, you know, they agreed to it and they let me run it. The first year we made nine investments. The second year we increased the designation of women. Do in you, all my, all my yeah, you're telling me that you made nine investments in the first year of your uh, uh, investing journey. That's impressive, man. Yeah, so like, you know, <laughs> I mean, six you months at least led, to, led, led them to invest, right? This is what you're telling me, right? <laughs> so six months into my job and working in venture, I, I got the organization to start a completely new fund specifically for blacklist startups and we made nine investments. Yes, I did that. <laughs> um, That's really cool. One thing which I really like uh, about the VC world uh, and angel investing is you get to meet um, a lot of people um, who have put so much of uh, hard work and dedication behind the product, and they want to and they want to sell that uh, to you. You know, they, they have this shining uh, light in their eyes, and you can sense that, right? 
But what happens is sometimes the founders and the entrepreneurs have everything they wanted, but they reach out to some VCs um, who may or may not be from the same background or who may or may not be from the same uh, area uh, or the field that the founder or the entrepreneur is asking the investment for. So in in that case, there is usually a disconnect in the first meeting itself, you can you can sense that uh, either the investor is not interested in what he's seeing, uh, or the entrepreneur is not able to sell that to the investor or connect his product uh, with the investor. Usually, it's 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 like emotional connect. Like some some founders or entrepreneurs come with the brand and they have this emotional connect with it or tagline to go with it. Uh, and the investors would like it, yeah, they, this, they, this can sell. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, it's, it's some VCs are very direct. Um, uh, and they, they want the actual figures uh, and they want the actual um, financials, uh, at least on a high level, of, of where they want to go. And, and I completely understand. And what I tell founders is like, if you think there's no connection going on, take them separately, set up a meeting with them separately, make them some simple diagrams, help them understand what you are trying to sell. If talking his own words, what he understands, like if he, he's from uh, the finance background and he doesn't know tech much. So talk to him in money words. Talk to him in the way he wants to understand that. Talk to him in numbers. One year, I'm going to make this number for you. Two years, three years, four years, five years. And then they'll understand. They'll get you. They'll feel some confidence that, yeah, I think it's okay. I'll go ahead with you. But if you're talking in your own words and you don't know how to sell it, there's no point people's going to invest money in, into you anyways, right? Pretty much. And, you know, that's great advice. But, you know, as a founder, you also need to do your background on the investor you're meeting with. Exactly. That way you have that. That way you have that kind of language and that that diagram already up front because you may not get that second meeting. Yeah. But you know, I think people. I think what people expect from VCs and what we say we want VCs to be, isn't necessarily the job though. Yeah. Right. I agree with you. Yeah. So you know. As a good, to be a good VC, you pr you do need to support your entrepreneurs. You do need to be valued. You don't need to be. You know, there are plenty of VCs who don't who can be good, right? Like, but it helps to be valued. It helps to support your entrepreneurs. It helps to be care about people. But that's not the fundamental job. The fundamental job is to create returns for your investors. Like as a VC, I am nothing more than a glorified financial advisor. There's a bunch mm -hmm. of rich people who gave me their money to make them more money. Right now, that's not to say that what I do doesn't impact the broader community and the broader world, right? And like what I do impacts the lives of the founders in far more material ways than it does for my investors in a lot of cases. Cause like, you know, I'm part of, like venture's part of a diversified portfolio for these investors. So if they lose the money, like, yeah, they're not happy, but it's not the end of the world. For a founder that we invest in that goes off to create something amazing, like that's, that's world changing, life changing for them, right? And so the narrative around what we do very front facing is like all the stuff that we do for the entrepreneurs, but our actual job is the value we create for our investors. Right. So I always, uh, 
always try to center myself, reminding myself, like, I can be a supportive and, and go-getting and work with the founders as much as I want to, but if they don't generate returns, I'm not going to have a job. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you on that. Um, one more thing I want to talk about is Rare Breed VC. How did you come up with that name, man? How the <laughs> Rare uh, Breed VC, you know? Um, I don't know. Like, I'm terrible <laughs> with names, right? Like, like, names never really been a good thing. But um, we had a different name for the company that I was using for, like, a, like just for a concept. And somebody's like, okay, it's time for us to come up with a real name. You need to come up with a name. I was like, all right, I don't know. Rare breed. That sounds like a good name. It was just like an off the cuff thing. Like I didn't really think about. It. I was like I don't call it rare breed. Then I said it to somebody. They were like, "That's a really good name." I was like, "It is a good name, isn't it?" <laughs> so it was very just off the cuff kind of a thing. But um, yeah, rare breed. It worked out well. So um, uh, like, do you know? Um, I mean, you know yourself. Uh, when. Uh, when we have, when we we go into this uh, this world of investing, uh, how, many, how many times uh, the percentage of your meetings led to a term sheets? <laughs> how many of those happened to you? I mean, shoot, less than two percent, less than one percent, right? Like, it's like I'm gonna see like hundreds upon hundreds of startups, right? Like let's let's like, let's take Rare Breed. So Rare Breed Ventures were. Uh, we're targeting a $10 million uh, pre-seed to seed fund. You know, our sweet spot is things sub 10 million post money valuations, right? We are going and our target check size is 250,000. So at that check size, we can only write so many checks, right? So yeah. over the course of the next three to five years, we're going to make anywhere from like five to 10 investments a year, right? Five to 10. And in any given year, I'm going to say, I'm going to see anywhere in the neighborhood of 900 to 2,000 companies. So if I see 2,000 companies in a given year, and I'm only going to make at most 10 investments, (laughs) (laughs) like like the chances of getting a yes are just not very high. Um, and I think startups don't, you know, startups want to get frustrated when, you know, they get no's from VCs, but it's like, I can only make so many investments. And really, the way me and my team look at it is kind of like in cohorts, right? So we'll look at a group of startups over the period of like four or five weeks that have come in. And so we'll look at a group of companies, another group we might pick out like, let's say, seven or eight companies that we'll kind of drill down into. Enough that we might make, we might pick one or two. We really young, we're really only supposed to pick one, but then somehow we always end up be like, we can't just pick one because <laughs> it's hard. Like you meet so many great companies. I mean, the last three months, I've met at least twenty companies that I'd be like, hmm, it'd be cool to invest in them. I'm not going to invest in twenty companies. It's not how it's going to work. Might invest in five of them, right? Like, yeah, so the uh, ratios are crazy. Oh, the one um, with the rare breed, um, you know, I usually ask this question. Uh, I have the six sets of questions when, when, um, uh, when I talk to some other VCs and everything. What What is your um, profile for the fund? Are you? Uh, when I say the profile of the fund, what I meant was it's it's really important to understand the fit of the fund to anybody's business, whether the strategy 
by the VC firm at the time the fund was raised is consistent with the aims and objectives of the company that we are investing in. So what, what is the rare breed VC's profile? Uh, are you looking into the tech companies, payment gateways, uh, fintech, uh, pharma, or, or, or any pre-seed companies? Well, what's the profile there? So we don't don't do life sciences because like i don't know how to evaluate therapeutic or farm like that's just not my thing right but we're industry agnostic right so we'll do just about anything else but the big things are if it's a software or tech enabled company we like to see a clearly repeatable or unique customer acquisition strategy mm-hmm. you'll need to have a lot of customers but you need to know how you get your customers yeah i agree with you and, on that that's and then we one. also like um <laughs> we like physical products typically in markets that have lacked innovation in the last 10 years kind of like consumer markets that have lacked innovation um, because those two founders tend to be out of the box thinkers and out of the box problem solvers. Uh, so that's, that's really the profile. So it was really broad, but within that broad range, like entrepreneurs who really figure out the customer acquisition strategy at the earliest stages, not as many as you would think. I yeah. mean, and the number of like physical products that are in markets that have lacked innovation for a decade, it's really not as many of those either. Right. So that's, re- that's really where we, we kind of settle in at. Yeah, that, that, led, that leads me to ask you another question of what is max investment style? Or probably I, would ask, I need to ask, what is rare breed VC's investment style? So the reason I'm asking is because uh, everybody, every, every venture capital firm, they have their own approach. And most of them are very similar, but it's also important to understand uh, how they work and how uh, they are going to work with you. So what's, what's the... Uh, uh, USP of the rare breed VC or probably max investment stock. So our process is fairly simple where, you know, you meet with me or a member of the team. If we like you, you come to a team meeting from there, you know, we get to, we either going to come up with some additional questions or we get to a go, no go. If it's a no go, we try to tell you why. If it's a go, we'll give you uh, we'll start doing some deeper due diligence, you know, reference calls all that um and we try not to do crazy due diligence like we're super early so like it's usually not a whole lot of stuff to diligence anyway talk to me talk to me about uh some vcs who are just very new and and their dds are jesus christ you know uh, never-ending dds and and i don't know what they get out of it i'm like why don't we just go to the hospital where i was born I mean, I get it. You got to cover your butt, right? You got to fiduciary responsibility. But like also at the same time, like, especially for the earliest stages, right? Like what we're investing is probably not what the company's going to be long-term. Like the company's going to change a bunch of times. So really the conviction has got to be around the founder. And so that's why that customer acquisition piece is really critical for me. Um, Cause I talk about customer acquisition all the time, right? Like it's a big thing for me, but it's really like understanding the founder's mindset. Like how does the founder think about acquiring and retaining customers? You know, how do they think about the customer experience? How do they think about the customer journey? How do they think about growing their business over the long term? Um, sorry, I feel like my dog just picked up something he's not supposed to be beating. Anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I hope he's not chewing or some like piece of electronics or something. Anyway, um, so, you know, understanding the founder and, and, and what drives them and what drives like the metrics of their business is, is where I get excited. I mean, like, man, my top performing company, I talk about him on every podcast. He's probably so embarrassed at this point. It must be stopped talking about him. But uh, the founder of Scholar Me, Scholar Me, that co, um, Femi, 
You know, he was a kid in high school when I met him, right? I got to know him over a couple months. He was a growth hacker. You know, he had done some work for some people in the past. Like, he's like one of these Gen Z kids who's just super smart, right? And he eventually came up with the idea for a company that was like a common application for scholarships. It's a terrible idea that'll never make money, right? Like, like, like it's just not a good business model. He had no way, he had no understanding and thought process like how to make money at that point. But what he did know was how he got his first 25,000 users in three months. And he used a hack on Venmo. So he basically found a bunch of students through Venmo and sent them a penny with a message that said, here's money for college. If you want more, check out Scholarly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just brilliant. And and, uh, like with with, um, being so new fund, uh, have you led any rounds so far with with any of the uh, companies, or you or you have done any many uh, follow up investments uh, so far? So technically, we're still fundraising. Uh, we're in the process of our first close right now. <laughs> um, anybody interested in being an LP? Our minimum check size is 10k. You can go to rarebreed.vc and click a button that says "Become an LP" and, and hit the stuff. Um, I can talk about this publicly because we're, we're investing, we're fundraising under 506C, so I can publicly disclose. Don't worry, SEC, don't come after me. Um, and so, yeah, we haven't made any investments yet, but we have made some commitments. So hopefully in January, you'll be hearing some uh, some announcements from Rare Breed, but um, we do plan to lead. We plan to lead most of the rounds we do, um, especially the pre-seed rounds. The seed rounds, we might not be lead, but for most of the pre-seed rounds, we'll lead. Um, got some companies I'm excited about. Uh, you spoke that uh, you're looking for um, uh, LPs as uh, as well, right? So, uh, but I, the one thing for me is uh, the LPs are the lifeblood of uh, any VC business. You know, they they give you capital to manage over a long time horizon in exchange for a return that hopefully exceeds some traditional liquid asset classes, right? Uh, uh, they are your, they are, they are your customers, but like like any customer base, LPs can churn usually at the time when you need them the most. So, what are you basically looking uh, in an LP for the real BBC? You know, and uh, uh, what kind of LPs are is it like we're open for everybody to talk? Or uh, you need a specific background um, of investment, or it's just like anybody with 10k can join you. <laughs> Anybody willing to give me money can be an LP. Like I am not in the position to say no to anybody. I am a, a, a first time fund manager of a diverse background. So uh, for me, hey, if you want to be an LP, just just go to the website, click the link. Uh, um, I, one more thing I want to ask you, Mac, is what is Mac outside investment world? What is fun for Mac? What does Mac do for fun? What does Mac do for fun? I talk to startups. <laughs> uh, I, I do networking. I help fulfill partnerships. Um, no, for fun, um, I read a lot of manga. So, like, I am a manga freak, so I read a lot of Japanese, Korean, Chinese comic books. Uh, I spend time with my dog and uh, watching sports. Like, I, I almost watch no TV, but the TV I do watch is all sports. So, like, you know, I, I, I love most sports, and so that's, that's, that's kind of what I do for fun, you know, hanging out with my friends and watching sports and talking trash to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, just one, one more thing which I want to um, 
uh, ask you about is, um, what, what is the advice that you want to give uh, some of the VCs who are, who are new into this uh, investment world? Uh, I, I, want to, I want to break down this question into two. I want to ask you, what do you want to suggest to uh, the founders or the entrepreneurs that uh, VCs look um, for in a pitch that they want to do for the investment? I don't want to give that answer because uh, I could probably give my answer what I would want to see. Um, and then what, what will be the advice that you would give for VCs who are trying to get into this business? What, what uh, uh, inspiration that they need to have because it's a tough business, you know, there are a lot of VCs, there are VCs who have done exceptionally well. And uh, those who want to get into this, it, it's a tough job. It's a tough job. It's a tough world. Uh, what is that you want to give uh, the basics that you need to have? Okay. So for founders who want to raise funding, I'll tell you, the more traction you have, the better, right? Like at the end of the day, as a VC, I am a rocket fuel salesman. So that means if you have a rocket ship and it's flying and you want to go faster, I got fuel for you. That is what I, that's what I do. The money we give is fuel for you to go faster. But what rocket fuel won't do is if you come to me and you're like, hey, Mac, I got this rocket ship. It's in a bunch of parts, but I, all I need is this one tool. So if you give me that tool, I can put this rocket ship together and we'd be good to go. But that's not what I sell. I don't sell tools. I sell rocket fuel. So I'm not going to sell you this tool for you to try and put this rocket ship together that may never get off the ground. And if it does get off the ground, can't stay in the air. Or it does get in the air and nobody wants to get on it. So once you got the rocket ship and people on it, I give you rocket fuel. That's what we do, right? So the more traction you have, the better always. Also, stop comparing yourself to other startups and their fundraising, right? First and foremost, fundraising is not the goal. Creating a great company is the goal, number one. Number two, just because you see another founder raise capital pre-product, pre-revenue of a different background, come from Stanford, understand they did not raise the money because of their business. They raised the money because of their network. So you, if you do not have the same network, we are not comparing apples to apples. That's not how that works. So I don't care if you have more traction than that founder who raised money because he didn't raise money or she didn't raise money because of their business. They raised it because of their network. If everything's created equal and we're just looking at businesses, I'm not funding their business either. So let's stop that gate. <laughs> so stop trying to compare yourself to everybody else. Just make the best business you can. On the investment side, I'm going to say something that's going to be probably slightly controversial, especially as a former operator, right? Everybody's up, up and on saying, you need to have operating experience to be a VC. Bullshit. No, you don't, right? <laughs> what you need... And I'm, I'm going to speak very honestly from the perspective of an early stage investor, right? Early stage investing is what I do. Pre-seed the Series A is where I live. I don't go anything above that. It's not my skill set. And so if you want to be good as an early stage investor, you need to be able to do two or three things really well in my estimation, right? That is, and this is more from a portfolio support, like finding companies or finding founders you want to invest in, coming up with these, like anybody can cut somebody a check, right? And once you cut that founder check, how do you really support them? And so from the early stages, if you can help your companies with customers, partnerships, and follow-on funding, if you can do two of those three things really well, you could probably do pretty well as an early stage investor. As long as follow-on funding is one of them, then you could do one of the other two partnerships or customers, right? And really, what does that mean to be able to do those things? 
having a strong network and being good at business development. Having a business development or sales background is probably more impactful than just having an operating background. Because yes, having an operating background may help you win deals because you can sympathize and empathize with founders in a way that other people can't, right? So yes, a founder can call you up in the middle of the night and y'all can commiserate together and there's going to be some value to that. That's value for the founder. That's not necessarily value to the business. Your ability to pick up the phone and call Google or Amazon or some other big company and facilitate a partnership is truly, it can be transformative to a business and transformative to your investment. So the ability to move the company forward is far more impactful than just the ability to commiserate with founders. So if you want to get into this business, become really clear on where you get your deal flow, how you go about sourcing companies. And then build up your Rolodex of both investors, because you're going to need follow-on funding and you're going to need to be able to put up syndications together. And with uh, operators and executives at companies that could be potential customers or partners for the founders you invest in. If you can do those two, if you can do that well, you can make a way into this business. That's a brilliant advice, uh, Mac. Uh, And I think listeners need to understand that and that VC world uh, is not all about money and and uh, and wealth. It's all about hard work, dedication. Um, as Mac clearly mentioned, uh, that if you're ready for the grind, uh, this this helps uh, you to go a long way. But if you if you get caught into distractions, uh, things may fall apart. Uh, with that said, uh, I think Mac uh, and the Rare Breed VC is on the right track. Uh, to all the listeners, uh, if you are from the VC background or you want to try uh, uh, to be a VC, um, um, as Mac mentioned, uh, they are hiring their their uh, they want LPs uh, to join their fund. So make sure you reach out to uh, Mac. And um, uh, just a few words, Mac. I think uh, it's been a fantastic uh, conversation. A very honest and 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 again and, and a clear, transparent conversation, man. I really enjoyed this episode, and uh, I, I wish to Rare Breed VC all the best. Um, I look forward to uh, have you uh, on my podcast again and again uh, on different topics. Uh, uh, on, on different situations as well so thanks for thanks for doing this well i appreciate that man and uh i i thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast and thank you for the support thank you that's it folks that was mac the vc from rare breed ventures uh he's a founder and managing director if you guys want to be into a next generation venture capital fund uh, and enjoy what you do and explore uh, the the world of VC, reach out to Mac. I'm going to leave all the description uh, down below. And also subscribe to Tech Lido. Uh, and we are all on the major platforms, uh, CastBox, Apple, Spotify, Google. And this is me, Kazim. Uh, until next time, signing off.